0: Prayer is so unbelievably important in our lives. And if you missed last week or catching up, last week you had this big, huge, audacious idea and this big thought. You get to pray. You get to pray. We talked last week about those awkward family moments which you probably had around Christmas time when you're all sitting in a circle and everyone's looking like, who's going to pray? We should probably pray for the meal. And so you're looking around the circle and there's an awkward moment of please, mom, don't pick me. And so you're looking at there and then you get picked. And then it's like you just got sentenced to, you know, 100 years in jail. And so you're like, this is the worst thing in the world because you don't know what to say and you're afraid you're going to mess it up. And, and that awkward moment of I don't want to pray out loud. Most of us have that fear and there's fear inside of us. And the big idea that we're going to be exploring is perhaps you don't really get it because you get to pray. What if you went to a family gathering and mom is looking around the circle and you're all like, ooh, 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 ooh me, 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 me. Because being the pastor in the family or social gathering, everyone goes right to me. So if you ever go out to eat with me, you're off the hook, right? But I'm going to give you a seven-point sermon when I pray because I get to pray. That's the way I think about it. Like I get to talk to the God of the universe that right now is over everything in the entire world. I get to take my friends and family On a time of talking to the God of the universe, I get to pray. But something has happened in our spiritual lives where we've, even as Christians, if you are a follower of Jesus, have pushed prayer out into this weird circle, maybe over here, maybe we've separated it in our lives of something I probably should do, like I should work out and I should eat you know, more carrots and my New Year's resolution for going to Planet Fitness is already over or whatever these things I should do. And there's some people who say I live and die and breathe with prayer. And we're all in between this, this somewhere on this spectrum of your viewpoint of praying. We also talked last week, depending on where your story comes from, you've never experienced prayer. You weren't around a praying family. You haven't heard people pray before, and this is a new concept to you. Or maybe you came from a certain uh, style of, of faith that prayers were written out. So I just read these prayers, and that's, I can do that, but, but to be able to think and talk for myself, this might be a new concept. And so this series of Praying with Paul, we're exploring this idea that actually Paul, when he's writing, is a man of constant prayer. And we can look at what he's saying to find out it's really not that scary. In fact, Paul thinks and lives that he gets to pray. And today we're looking at his big idea that he gets to pray for the church. But before we get into that, I want to explain to you what church is because we have so many different ideas. Church is not what we're doing right now. Right now, we are in a gathering of people together to worship and come together Church, what he is talking about is the universal large group of people that call Jesus Christ their Lord and Savior. Everybody who are believers, that is the church. We're called the bride of Christ. We're those who are redeemed by God. So if you've asked Christ as your Savior, you are part of the church. Now, inside of that, we have church gatherings. And so that's why you've heard us say we have Sunday gatherings. We don't call it church because church is confusing. Yes, Mosaic Church is a church, but we are now on a small C basis. So think big C, capital C is all the believers. Small C, these, we're just families that meet together and we celebrate different families as every family does things a little bit different. Our family at Mosaic does things different than other churches. And so we celebrate those who are part of the big C church. And though there's different, like families do things different, we do things different, we're called to do things maybe in, in our city, in our community, and in the world different than others, but we're all part of the same mission, which is making disciples. So when we talk about church, Paul is praying for those who have come to faith, but he's going to be speaking specifically to a group in Ephesus. So today we'll be diving into Ephesians 1:15 to 23. Um, if you have your Bibles, your Bible apps, iPads, um, man, if you've got Google Glasses, you can click this and like, it pops up in front of you. That's pretty awesome, too. Um, Ephesians 1, 15 to 23. And as you are flipping there, let me give you some background on the book of Ephesians. Uh, this book was written A.D., so after the death of Christ, approximately 60 to 61 years after he had passed. And the Apostle Paul is now in jail in Rome, and he is one of his first stints. He had done multiple stints in jail. Because he kept spreading the gospel and he kept getting arrested. So he is in a stint in jail in Rome. Rome is the overseer and they, are the, uh, they have territories in which they own and they have taken over. And so when we look at the scriptures, this is during a time which Rome was in charge of pretty much the entire land. So the Roman rule does not like him. They're not appreciative of his gospel teaching. He is in jail and he starts writing these letters to different churches. So when you look at the book of Ephesians, Colossians, Philemon, and uh, uh, yeah, I said that, and Philippians, excuse me, these are called the prison epistles. So these are books in our case, but to him, letters. He's writing letters to churches that he had helped found or he had seen and been a part of or even heard of. And so these letters are very, very important they they are so important to us because as we read back here we're seeing doctrine and the idea of these church families that are coming together and what's encouraging for us in the year 2022 is that they have some of the same problems that we have so the the struggles and the challenges of being in culture culture being corrupt and messed up politics being bad um all these things they have the same problems i do not think they had COVID though so they're lucky so here we are in the book of Ephesians, and obviously the focus we're going to be looking at today is prayer. Have you ever had somebody pray for you? Everybody, anybody who's said to you, I am going to pray for you, there's a feeling that when someone says that, that's a unique feeling, because when someone says, I'm going to pray for you, there's a feeling of connectedness, and there's a feeling of care. I, I did something for a season where... Um, I would go with my mentor, we'd go out to breakfast in the morning, we'd sit down, and we'd have breakfast. And uh, we would uh, have our time together, we'd do a Bible study together, and, and he would uh, train and teach me how to be uh, a disciple, discipleship, right, he's discipling me. And so we'd sit down to this breakfast, and this, this woman who was taking care of us one time uh, just looked like she was hurting. And so she came over to fill our coffee because if you know anything about me, uh, if you've ever been my uh, waiter or waitress, I like 8,000 cups of coffee. So this poor woman is like, go fill, fill, So she comes over and I said, um, uh, hey, we're about to pray for our meal. Can I pray for you? And the look on her face was like I just blew up a kitty cat right in front of her. It was shock. It was scared. It was like, what did this guy just say to me? And she's like, uh, I don't know. I said, hey, no worries. I just want you to know that we're just going to pray for you uh, as we pray for our meal. We just want to encourage you. So she says, okay, and she walks away. So she walks away, and uh, we, we go back to our meal. Um, as we're talking, I, I feel this presence beside me because this woman is now sat down in my booth next to me. <laughs> and I look over, and uh, I'm like, oh, hey. She said, actually, yeah, could you pray for me? And then for 15 minutes, started sharing me what was going on in her family. Uh, I said, yes, absolutely. Um, I, I, would, I would be honored to pray for you. And so uh, she went back. She got to get back to my tables. And so we prayed for her and went back into our meal and our discussion. And then she came back again. So now I think she's filling my coffee because she just wants to talk. So I'm like, I really should not have any more caffeine, ma'am. But she just, hey, can I tell you more? And just kept sharing and just unloading her heart onto me and to my friend and sharing more and more. I'm like, maybe this prayer thing is powerful. So I started on a process of, you know, I think when the Lord puts on my heart to ask people, I need to ask him if I can pray for them. I'm going to pray for my meal because I get to pray. And so I'm going to ask people to pray. Now, I don't do it all the time, but I want to tell you this is what happened. Not one time in my experience has someone said, no, you may not. Not one. Even if they don't believe in God, even if they believe in a different God, even if they are not sure about God, it doesn't matter what their story is, the thought process that I believe in something that could change their lives, the fact that I believe and I care enough about them to take time out of my day to pray for somebody who's a stranger blew their minds. I get to pray. When we pray for each other and we have that opportunity, this is where Paul is now entering into Ephesians. Paul is looking at this perspective of prayer from a very different aspect that we typically do in our lives. He's looking at it as an opportunity to say, I get to pray for you all the time. Now, the dude's in prison He probably does not have an iPhone at this time, so he doesn't have a lot going on. So we would then argue, well, he has nothing better to do than to spend his time praying. And I completely say that's false. A lot of other things he could be doing. A lot of different people he could be praying for. He could spend all of his time praying that he would get out of prison. He is spending and writing letters to these churches and encouraging them, saying, I am praying for you. And that's where we're going to pick up Ephesians one, fifteen to twenty-three. It'll be on the screen behind me as well. For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and your love for all God's people, I've not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation, so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope in which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all these things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Depending on your story and where you are in scripture reading and, and Bible reading, one of those that we want to teach here at Mosaic is we want to teach in a way that helps you understand and be able to read the Bible for yourself. We fully believe that God's word is the ultimate authority And discipleship means we're going to teach you how to do this for yourself. So if you just heard that and said, I have no idea what's going on, another reason to come to Sunday gatherings, that's what we want to do is help you so that you can learn how to read and teach others to read, so that you can learn how to pray and teach others to pray, that is discipleship. So we engage in Ephesians 1 and there's a lot going on and you're like, Jason, that's a lot of words and it looks like Paul is all over the place. But we're going to break it down and actually see it's not all over the place. Paul is specifically praying very directly for the church of Ephesus. So we're going to go right into that first verse in 15, where he starts the idea with for this reason. If you ever see for this reason, you have to find out what the reason is, if, if that's a big one there, right? Right. Um, If you ever say, therefore, you want to find out what the therefore is there for. So in scripture reading, oftentimes when there's teaching, we're looking at a passage, but understand this is inside of a context of an entire letter. So when you're Bible reading, it's important for you to read in the context of not just pull out one verse, but look at the verse inside of what's happening inside of a paragraph that's happening inside of a chapter that's happening inside of the letter. Because for Paul... There weren't little numbers by each of this, just like if you wrote a letter to somebody, you wouldn't have big numbers and small numbers. This is a continual thought. So we want to go back to say, what is the reason that Paul is doing this? So we go back to Ephesians 1:13 to 14, the two verses before. It says this, And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession, to the praise of his glory. Paul is continually giving thanks for something huge here, and you will see the theme throughout his letters. You were included in Christ, we see in verse 13, when they heard the gospel. So when he's speaking to a group of people, He's not speaking to a group of people that's an established church that's been there for 300 years. Remember, this is only 60 years after the death of Christ. And 60 years after the death of Christ, a lot of things have been happening. One of the biggest things is that Christianity was trying to get snuffed out. They're trying to stop this movement of Christianity. The reason why is because the idea that he was the Messiah or the Savior and that there's a following of him scared rome there was an idea that he was the messiah and this claim that he was god went against jewish thought at that time and there was this tension of this this new false religion that's rising up and happening in the land we need to stop this from happening but it did because christ really was the savior and it's spreading like wildfire so when churches are being built they are church plants And they are church plants of people who were totally not Christians before. So if you have said, hey, I'm in church and I wasn't a Christian or I'm a baby Christian or I don't understand it at all, welcome to what church is supposed to be. Because he is now speaking to a group of people that says, I am so fired up that you heard the gospel and that you believed in him. And because you believed in him, now something more awesome happened. Because you believed in him, you now get the Holy Spirit to help guide you. So backstory of what happened when Jesus died, the Holy Spirit or God's Spirit is now with us and among believers. And so the Holy Spirit is the one who guides us, shapes us, opens our eyes to God's truth and takes wretched, terrible people like me and says, let me show you what is true. That is God's Spirit. And so the power of God is now among us because of Christ. And so he's like, look at guys, I'm super fired up for this. You heard the truth of Christ, you heard the gospel, and with the gospel, now you've got the Holy Spirit. This is unbelievable. You are now part of God's family. I could not be any more fired up because this is happening. You were completely jacked up and lost, and now you are found. Your life was broken, but you found healing. You were a complete and utter mess, but now Christ has saved you. You were an enemy of God, and now you are friends with God. I, Paul, have given my entire life to this cause, and I am so unbelievably grateful that you have come. Therefore, that's where we enter our verse. Not about you, but I don't get that fired up about that topic all the time. I'm fired up now because I'm on a stage and I get to talk and this is awesome, right? But, but when I'm in my prayer time, I don't find myself fired up about each of you coming to Christ the way that Paul is. And I ask the question, why? Why don't I have that fire in my belly? Do I not really believe hell is real? Do I not really believe that being far from God destroys our life both now and forever? Do I not, what's wrong with my belief system? Or perhaps I'm just kind of taking it for granted now. I'm taking the gospel for granted because I hear it all the time and I'm relaxed with it. And I'm like, oh, yay, I'm glad that you're still a Christian. Yay. Or, hey, I'm glad that you're exploring. But where does this fire in the belly of Paul come from? That he is writing letters saying, I am so fired up that you were lost and now are found. To know that, we're going to go back into Paul's story. This is a lot of front flash and back flash here, so I'm giving you background and foreground. Paul, before he was this amazing man who was sitting in prison for the gospel, was killing Christians. Before the story of where he is today, he was persecuting and he was on a movement to be the ones that stopped Christianity. He believed that the Christian movement was a false religion. And in the name of God was coming to stop this movement from happening. So imagine if you went from one who went door to door into churches and killed Christians, but now you're sitting in jail saying, I'm so glad that all of you came to Christ. This is an extremely dramatic change in this man's life. He had so much in his life to be forgiven of, so much that he's like, who am I that God would even forgive me? He embraced forgiveness in the gospel so intensely because he never forgot how much he had been forgiven of. We find this in 1 Timothy 1, 12 to 17. He says this, this is Paul writing. I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has given me strength, that he considered me trustworthy, appointing me to his service. Even though I was once a blasphemer, a persecutor and a violent man, I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. The grace of our Lord is poured out on me abundantly, along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Here's a trustworthy saying that deserves all acceptance, full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. But for that very reason, I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. Now to the king eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Think about this session of your day. You're sitting down and you're writing a letter to people. And you're writing a letter. So he's writing to Timothy in 1 Timothy. He's like, all right, let me tell you a letter. Hey, I am a total dirtbag. I am terrible. And what's unbelievable to me, Timothy, is that God would even trust me to even speak his name, but because of the things I've done, I persecuted, I was violent, I tried to stop the Christian movement, I was anti-Jesus, I did all these things against God, but for some reason, he plucked me out of the crowd and said, I'm going to have you now be one of my key guys to speak for the church. This doesn't make sense to me, Timothy, but this is what does make sense. This is how powerful the gospel is. And because of that, as we end our verse here, all he does is he worship. I worship, like, all I can say is God, eternal, immortal, amazing, I get to pray. I'm going to worship God forever. That is how amazing the gospel is and the power of the cross, that God would trust a dirtbag like me. So if you, and this is what's so hard when I... Talk with people who feel that they're too far, too broken, too messed up, too much sin. You are not, my friends. Friends, that is the gospel, and that's the power of the gospel. In fact, if you feel that way, in the great statement, walking a church, uh, the walls would fall down. And I was, uh, You don't understand Paul. Because if anyone's wall was going to fall down, it was Paul. Because of the, the terrible things, the mess he created... He says, I am so. How did God pick me out of everybody to be able to even speak the name of God? So, Paul has a perspective, I think, that looks a little different than us. Because in his writings and teachings, as we read the Bible, he's always talking about the grace of God and how the grace is so important. But he's also looking in the light of how much terrible things he has done. And he melds those together to say, grace is trumps everything. Therefore, I'm fully forgiven. And because I'm forgiven by Christ, all I can do is worship, 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 worship. Okay? So that's our background. Paul gets it. Now that brings us back into our verse, back into our passage that we read before in Ephesians, looking at it in a new light. Because Paul now is showing to us something that is different probably than our perspective each day. When we look at Ephesians now, he's looking at a church group of people. Let's just put our name in there. He's looking at Mosaic. And he's writing a letter to Mosaic Church, thinking of how much you have been forgiven of. Now, I don't know if he, I don't think he knows all the sins of the people who are sitting in that church at that time. I don't know how big the church it was. We don't know all those kind of details. All he knows is that these group of people were extremely jacked up, and now they've found Christ. They were far from God, now they're part of his chosen group. They were not going to be with him, now they're with him for eternity. There is a shift that's happened, and he can't stop praying for them because of it. Maybe we don't pray this way because we don't really understand the gospel to the fullness that Paul did. That we sometimes look at our sin as, yeah, I'm forgiven, but do you really understand the depth of that forgiveness. Sometimes we I haven't done that many bad things, so therefore I'm going to put myself on the scale of who's worse and who's better, and none of that is true. We are all worse, we are all equal, we all need a Savior, and it was Jesus Christ alone. Paul sees this, embraces this, and now he starts a prayer language to say, guys, this is how powerful the gospel is, this is how I'm going to pray for the church. Verse 17, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I keep asking God over and over again, hey God, uh, my friends in Ephesus, I'm asking you, God, would you please give them wisdom and open their eyes, God, that doesn't ask for more money. He doesn't ask them to grow their church, to have more people that way so that they have more numbers so that they can say, look, we're a mega church. Or they don't have to say, oh, look, we're not effective. Whatever their story is. He says, this is what I'm praying for, that the people in Ephesus would know you better. That is his prayer for the church. I want everybody who's a believer to know you better. Caleb, when he was seven years old, my son came to me with a Sunday school project. He had homework from Sunday school, and when the word homework comes out to any student, they're just moaning and griping,
1: I don't want to do homework. He
0: had homework on time, he was tired of homework, and he had just one more thing on his pile of things to do, but he had a Sunday school homework. His homework was a simple question, how well do you know your daddy? He said, dad, I know you, I don't have to do this, and I said, okay, okay. So I started probing and asking questions. And obviously, my seven-year-old did not understand the depths of me. To him, um, I was born when he was born. That's all that matters, right? Like, it's all about my existence, and you are here now, and you're my dad. But there was a story that existed before he was born. In fact, there was a long story that existed before he was born. So uh, appropriately, I started sharing some stories and some facts about my life. And I remember him just blown away, probably in the same way like when we were kids and we'd see our teacher at the grocery store holding her hand or his hand with his spouse and you're like, oh my gosh, they're real people, right? That like blew your mind that teachers were real people and didn't just teach you Um, and it was freaky and weird. I think it just blew his mind because he was blown away, had a life before him. And so I drove home the point to him. Learning and knowing God is not homework. Knowing your daddy, there's so much more you can know. And he, Paul is praying, I want them, daddy, to know you more. Because the more that we know him, the more that we embrace and love the Lord God Almighty. And so in the same way, it's not a duty to go to the word of God and to say, Dad, I want to know you more. Show me something in your scripture today. You get to know him more. What a major difference thought process for us in 2020 as Americans, right? I get to read the Bible. I have to do a Bible study. I have to pray. I get to pray. And so when we are in the opportunity to come together and to learn and know God more, it's that we know him so that we can love him more. Many of our questions and our struggles that I deal with uh, from the theological aspect of people asking questions about God, it's because they don't know Him. They're saying things, I'm like, that's not God. That's not true. You saw that on a YouTube video. That's not God. And there are these questions and anger and shooting in all directions. And I'm like, that's not God. You met up. Know Him. And so Paul is praying for this church. I want you Church of Ephesus, and I pray this for Mosaic, that we would know him. Know him more. Because the more we know him, the more we trust him. It's really hard to trust and love somebody you don't know. And Paul is building into them a prayer that says, God, open their eyes to know you more. Verse 18, I pray that the eyes of your heart, and now this is him speaking to Ephesus again, the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you to, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. Paul prays that they would start to grasp this idea that because of salvation, your entire life has changed. And this is what's changed. Because of Christ, not only is today changed, eternity has changed. And he wants them to just start to grasp that. So uh, this is a hard thing to concept, and this is why he's praying it. So let's sit here for a second. How much do you think about eternity? And the hard thing about eternity is we don't have all the facts. Even within Scripture, there's not a whole lot of uh, writings about what it's going to be like. I think the reason why we don't see so much about what happens in heaven and eternity with Christ is two reasons. This is just my opinion, so you take it or throw it out. It's, your, it's, it's free, so it's for you today. Here's my opinion. the two reasons why we don't see in Scripture. One, if we really knew what eternity was like, you would love and worship God because you get something out of it. Here's my end point. I want that, so therefore I'm going to love this God to get that. So then is it really love? Secondly is this. If we really knew what eternity was like, I believe many of us would say, I'm done with this world and take me there. Because the pain and the strife and the struggle that happens day after day after day says this is not good, that is amazing, so I'm just gonna go there, why do I stay here and do this? So there's there's kind of a blank there and I think that's for our protection, that's my opinion. Because it does two things. It focuses on the true thing, which is love the Lord God Almighty and trust Him. That's going to be awesome. I believe the other part of heaven why we struggle with it is because I want to know if I want to be there or not. Because I've, I mean, we've heard all the crazy stuff. We've watched movies. People have said stuff out of their mouths from time to time. In fact, I had a teacher, uh, my English teacher in high school. A hilarious story. Uh, when I was in high school, I was always... I've always been kind of an evangelist, talking about God all the time. It's kind of my jam. I like it. Um, so I would write stuff, you know, in my in my senior uh, writing class for English, and my teacher noted that, and he respected that. He he wasn't he wasn't a Christian, but he respected that that I had a faith like that. And uh, so I was, I wrote something sometime. You know, I don't remember what it was. That, that's not the point. And he takes my paper and he puts it on my on my uh, desk. Um, God name of course and. Uh, <laughs> He says, you know what? If sitting on a cloud and playing a harp is heaven, just send me to hell. I'd rather be to hell. And kind of went and sat down. And I said, uh, I don't think that's what's going to be. He goes, oh, yeah, it is. Yeah, it is. Just sitting on a harp, sitting on a cloud, playing a harp. Well, I don't want to go to heaven either then. We, we fill stories, and we start to fill these these. these stories inside of our head to try to fill a gap there because we don't trust that God, whatever he promised is good. And so really when we get down to it, do we trust him that what he said is good? When Jesus says, I'm going to prepare a place for you, it's going to be pretty rock star. And it's going to be what he says is good, not what you say is good. So if Jesus wants me on a cloud playing a harp, which is not what the scriptural, that's a side note, it's got to be good because God is good. And so you see, the more we know about daddy, the more it makes sense that we're able to talk about this. And so he says to this church, he says, I just want you to so much understand how powerful the gospel is to change your life now and start to grasp the idea of how powerful it is for the riches that God is going to give you forever, your inheritance, which is all because of Jesus. This is a pretty in-depth prayer. And now if we go back to why he's praying this, This is Paul's passion because he was a terrible messed up sinner and he is starting to grasp this idea of what it means to be saved by so much. And he's praying, God, show them how awesome this is. Verse 19 and 20, we move on. And his incomparable great power for us who believe, that power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. I want you, Ephesus, to grasp how powerful the riches of this, what we get as part of this story, but I want you to start to grasp how much power you have because of the Holy Spirit. This is most undoubtedly the most untalked-about American topic in all of churches, is the power and the great power of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, that which God brought so that we have power of God in us, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead, a dead man came back alive, is now given to all believers. You have that power when you're called on the name of Christ. That same power of the Holy Spirit is the one that transforms you and changes you and opens your eyes to the mysteries of God. That same power that raised Jesus from the dead is given to all of us to carry the mission of the gospel forward into the world. And yet you sit there and say, I can't pray in public. I don't know what to say. Maybe you're not tapping into the power of the spirit that's inside of you. Because the Spirit of God that is inside of you is the power that, of God that raised Jesus from the dead. And this is unbelievable. So Paul is saying this. I hope that you start to grasp that this thing about Jesus Christ is not some religious movement to have a bunch of people come together and sing songs. This religious movement is about changing the lives of broken, lost people, that their hearts would go from cold into worshipers of God who give their lives as a living sacrifice through the power of the Holy Spirit to change the world. And I ask this question, would the world look as bad as it does today if just believers use the power of the Holy Spirit to bring the power of God into the world? Just that one topic. Let's not worry about everything else. Let's just ask this question, what if we Just did our job. That we were on mission with the power of the Spirit to say we are here on mission. This is what Paul is praying. This is a powerful, powerful prayer. And when I read it the first time, I'm sure just as I read it the first time, you go through it like, wow, there's a lot going on. There's a lot of words. And that's why when, when you do study, it's good to break it down and go slow, sentence by sentence. What is being said? Paul is praying this idea, I want you to grasp eternity and the fact what you get to change your life here and forever, and I want you to start to understand the power of the Holy Spirit inside of you, that you are on mission to change the world. These are not Christian-educated, theologically trained, gone to 85 different seminaries, group of people in Ephesus. This was a group of people somewhere along the line in the last 60 years said, I want to follow Jesus Christ, now teach me. So if you feel like you don't know a lot, imagine the church of Ephesus. They don't know a lot either. They're learning in this process and the beauty of this, friends. And what's so beautiful about scriptures is that the Bible is not a group of stories that are far from us. It's a story that we are completely entwined in still this day. Broken, loved people finding the gospel being transformed. It's a beautiful story. And so Paul, as this one who's praying in in prison for these churches, is praying powerful, life-changing, earth-changing prayers for this church. I wonder why he did it. Why not just pray? Hey, God, hope you're having a good day help Ephesus have a good day. Amen. I wonder why Paul took this time and saw the importance not only to pray this, but to say this to them and say, I want you to know something, my friends. I am here advocating for you and praying that God gives you more of himself because powerful prayer is what we get to do. You get to pray. You get to speak this way. You get to come before God and say, God, I want to pray a powerful prayer right now for my neighbors. God, I want you to show them how powerful you are. God, I want you to open their eyes that they know that through Christ, through the gospel, that their entire lives can be transformed. I want them to know God that the addiction that's run in their family for the last 4 generations can be broken because when people engage the gospel and they move into a new world, the Holy Spirit can change anything. And you start praying these kind of powerful prayers, that is when when you sit down to pray, 1 minute becomes an hour. That's when you start to pray when you sit down and say, who wants to pray? Like I'd like to pray. Can I pray? And not just mealtime. Mealtimes go a little quick because if the food gets cold, people get salty, right? So, but you know what I'm saying. We get to pray. It is so amazing when you look at this gift that we are given as followers of Christ that we get to be a part of this. And he closes up with this. Go 21 and 22. Far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, in every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come, And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church. Again, big words. This power places Christ, the Holy Spirit. Christ is the authority. He is the head of the church. What's really cool about this is that we're called the body. And when the head is raised from the dead, the body is raised from the dead. When the head, let me say that again because you've probably never heard that before. When the head is raised from the dead, the body is raised from the dead. So when we are in Christ, the power that raised Christ from the dead is now given to us. The head of the church was raised from the dead. The body of the church will be raised from the dead, meaning we now get everything, and I still don't get this, we get to inheritance that Christ has. That makes no sense to me. Why would God give us all of this? And now this is why you sing songs, because you deserve nothing. You get nothing. I love Willy Wonka. I love the ending of Willy Wonka when he's all, like, angry and yelling at the kid and stuff. And he gives back to the never- You guys, the old version, the 70s version, right? You lose. You get nothing. Good day, sir. That is what the answer to God should be to us. But instead, we get everything because of Christ. And the power of Christ that he has given to us, because he is the head, we are alive. And so today, we're going to look at just four ways, quickly, that you can pray like Paul. If You've got notes or your note apps or whatever you to do. This is a great and easy way for you to be able to pray for the church. And by the church, we're not, yes, of course, praying Mosaic, and please do, but think of the church universal. Think of believers in your life. Think of people who have come to Christ, people who who are saying, I love Jesus, but man, I just don't get all this. This is what prayer looks like through Paul. First of all, if you know Christ as your Savior, everything begins with thankfulness for the gospel. Everything hinges on the gospel and so first of all it begins there secondly pray that God would open their eyes to know God better pray that their eyes would be open know God better so if you're praying for a spouse or for a child if you're praying for us as church leaders if you don't know who to pray for just pray for me because I need you to pray these prayers for me because no matter where we are on this journey there's always I want more of God is what I want So pray this for me if you don't know who to pray for. I'm sure you have people you could pray for. But I also love your prayers too. Three, pray that they would find hope in their gift of grace and the new eternal home. Pray that they know God better, that they'd open their eyes, but that they would find their gift of grace in the fact that heaven is now theirs through Christ. That they would start to even grasp this idea that they now have new life both on earth and for eternity. Finally, pray that they would embrace the power of the Holy Spirit in their lives. I could do a 17-year series just on the power of the Holy Spirit. The power of the Holy Spirit is something that we don't talk about, but, oh, we're going to be talking about it here. Because the Holy Spirit is the one that changes our lives. And I believe, just like Paul, that when we start to embrace this idea that we as a church of Mosaic Church will actually live out our vision to transform our community and the world. Igniting a movement of radical love comes not because we really love people, but because the Holy Spirit is changing us. And I believe in that. So pray a wonderful prayer. So I'm going to join together now and ask you to join me. And I, have, I wrote a prayer for you in this form for our Mosaic family. I put this prayer together in this form just so you can kind of hear what it sounds like, but I sat down and I, I praying and prayed for you. I believe in prayer. I get to pray for you. Before I pray this prayer, I want to confess to you, I didn't always believe this. At a church I used to work at years ago, we would get a prayer request sheet. And on the sheet, um, it was a very, very large church. And so all the prayer requests that came in throughout the week, we would get this as staff. And uh, Microsoft document, uh, I don't know, probably 12-point font, there was usually four to five sheets of prayers. All these people follow the requests. And I look at this sheet of paper, and I think, I'm too busy to do this. And then I feel guilty. And so I'd open it up, and I would say, God, you know all the requests of the people on this piece of paper. Please help them, amen. And then I started to read through some of them, and I looked at all the hurts and pains. Help my mom with cancer. Help my dad find a job. God, we need you here. I looked at the desperation, the cry of people. And then I thought, oh my gosh, this is too overwhelming. I can't do all of this. This is too much. I can't do all of this. I can't, it's weighing me down. I can't pray this. And I went through this weird myriad of what I believed about that. I look back on those days And I think, what a fool, because the lead pastor, who was also my mentor, was on his knees praying over that list all the time. And here I'm being shown an example of a man who gets to pray, and here I am thinking I'm too busy to pray for people. Friends, we can hear this and skip by so quickly, but I just want you to hear this today. You get to pray. So let me pray for you right now. Great Lord God and Almighty, we worship you as our Savior. Lord, you took the punishment of sin for us and you filled in where we have failed. God, we were all lost and you saved us. We continue to sin and your grace and mercy covers us every single day. It's all because of you, Jesus. Your amazing gospel, your death and your resurrection, Lord, Your gospel has changed so many of us, but I want to ask for more. We want to change more. I ask, Lord, as a church family, that we would know you better. Lord, help us to dedicate our lives to knowing you. Lord, help us to bring others to know you. Lord, free people who are stuck and saying, maybe this is just a religious thing, to come to say, I get to be part of your story. Great King, I pray that we find hope in the gospel. And that, go, that gospel changes today in eternity. Lord, may we never lose sight of our eternal home and all of, that you've offered us because you are a loving God. Lord, help us to keep love and grace always in our hearts for all people, no matter what their story is and where they've been. May the same love and grace you've shown to us reverberate, Lord, louder into our world that needs it. And Lord, we thank you for the power of the Holy Spirit that you've given all of your children. May we as a Mosaic family embrace this power to change, to become more like you, and bring love and hope into a broken, hurting world. Be forever praised, great God, for you alone are worthy to be praised. Amen. Once again, thank you so much for listening. If you live in southeast Wisconsin, we'd love to connect with you at our weekend gathering. For service time, directions, and to learn more about our vision to ignite a movement of love that transforms our community and the world, visit us at mosaicwi.com.